Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to the Johnny Jenkins Show. Fantastic to have your company this afternoon here on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube, or perhaps you're listening wherever you get your podcasts. If so, it's great to be in your ears today, this morning, this afternoon, or whatever time it is uh, that you're catching up with this. We've got a jam-packed Johnny Jenkins Show today as we look ahead to the US election on Tuesday. What coverage is Raw going to be provided? That's a student radio station at the University of Warwick. And who's going to win? Panel discussion on that. The Labour Party have been in the news this week uh, with anti-Semitism. Their report from the Equality and Human Rights Commission has come out. And Jeremy Corbyn has been suspended from the party just over six months ago. He was their leader. What do you make of that? Our panel uh, will tell me later on. But before we get into our panel discussion, we've got an exclusive interview with the president of Warwick Students Union, Luke Metham, who uh, joins me now. Hello, Luke. How are you doing? Hi, Hi Johnny. I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, all good here. Thank you. And it's great that you've been able to talk to us today and, and, and through me talk to the students at Warwick. Um, mm -hmm. Now, this time last week, Luke, we had a statement out uh, from the Democracy and Development Officer um, and other officers, part-time and full-time, who said mm -hmm. that the SU, which you lead, in putting on POP the student event, was risking student health and student lives. Now, this the, the subsequent POPs have been cancelled because of Coventry going into tier two restrictions their statement says the risk of transmission is high and they name you the sports officer the society's officer the postgrad officer as uh really to blame here your response um so i mean this this was kind of an issue that uh we discussed uh briefly as a sab team um just a, a day or so before the actual first pop event um and i mean I don't see it as risking student lives um, unnecessarily as set out in the statement whatsoever. Um, the event wasn't a club night as kind of suggested in the uh, in the statement and was essentially an, an extension of our existing offer in the dark and terrace bar. Um, it was just a place to um, kind of gather with friends um, with some pop music in the background. And that's kind of the only tie to the traditional pop night um, that we know. So I. I do dispute a lot of this kind of content of the statement. Um, but then again, um, as I say, individual officers are uh, kind of completely able to give their give their views like that. Um, it's just a shame we couldn't have done that in a more kind of constructive way internally within the SU rather than um, kind of having to go so public about it because it does, and we have attracted quite a bit of criticism following that. Um, I mean, it did kind of spark quite a bit of debate on the, uh, on the kind of thread with some people obviously agreeing with the statement, which is um, completely fair enough, and also some um, kind of opposing it. Um, but it did attract some criticism regardless um, kind of, of of kind of tensions within the officer team. Um, and I think those kind of tensions are, um, are understandable. Everyone is kind of elected on different platforms. Everyone is um, elected with different kind of political backgrounds. Um, and also we've got this kind of added tension of coronavirus that's just stressing everyone out um, and it, it does just make it kind of even more challenging to uh, kind of come to that team consensus and i think normally where we'd be sitting in the office all day every day with each other kind of chatting things like that through um perhaps some things do kind of um it is harder to kind of have that communication and and, and as a result we have seen um this statement come out which obviously is disappointing and um i would much rather it, it not be there um but uh i'm, I'm not going to kind of I'm not going to back down and agree with it, um, but it, it is a shame that it's had to go out. But it is highly unusual publicly for the officers team to divide on, on an issue about the issue and, and to publicly name the people who they say are to blame here. In hindsight, <laughs> and I don't know how much control you have over putting on commercial events, but in hindsight, was it the right thing for Pop to go ahead? I mean, I'll address your first point, first of all, and yeah, it is it is unusual. Um, we do sometimes kind of see um, in the past we've seen uh, kind of issues between the full-time and the part-time officer team, and and that is partly because of the uh, kind of the structural support within the SU um, has been lacking for part-time officers um, in the past, and we're really, really trying hard to make sure that um, kind of they are a part of the officer team and are um, kind of able to really have a say within the union. And, um, and then in terms of... Uh, kind of the decision making process we don't really have a whole amount of, of uh, influence kind of in terms of what commercial events go on but we we could have all turned around and said and no we don't want this but we, we didn't do that because we have been it was a response to students calling out for more and more social events um students have been kind of locked away um in their halls 
a, a lot kind of reporting to us that they're quite lonely and um, struggling with mental health issues so and I know from kind of communications that I've had with students that um, they were really really enjoyed the event um, it was a great opportunity to kind of get out and chat to their peers um, and just have a nice night out um, and I don't I don't think it was the wrong thing for it to go ahead. Um, it was, as I say, the, the the level of risk involved and kind of with the with the measures we put in place, um, it was no more risky really than kind of just going for going to a pub or going for a night out at the terrace bar, which has been going on for weeks since the beginning of term and we and we haven't heard any issues of that from um kind of fellow part-time or um, full-time officers in the past so I, I do think it was the right thing um, and i also do think it's the right thing that the event has been stopped now we're going to tier two um because we don't have any way of policing um the mixing of households and, and it would be irresponsible to assume that kind of society groups coming along to that are within the same household and it's important to point out that the event, when it took place, was within the law. It was within the guidance, um, but of course, it has, has caused a lot of controversy. Now, I want to get onto some other issues, but just briefly and finally on this topic, Luke, how much division is there between the SU officers? Because it, it seems, having a look from the outside, that really there, there's two camps here. I, I think it's. I don't think it's necessarily two camps. I think it. This is this has been quite a divisive issue in, within the team, and it, it's not kind of indicative of. Um, relationships in all areas of our business and generally um, the full-time officer team especially we are still working well um, in terms of lobbying the university and working with the university to kind of make sure the student experience is the best it can be um, obviously naturally there are things that we all disagree on um, and so our kind of approach there is to try and come to a compromise as best possible um, but yeah as I say everyone's elected on kind of uh, different mandates everyone has different priorities and that's absolutely fine and kind of part of Part of the learning experience for the whole team is kind of um, learning to work with all those different priorities and make sure that kind of everyone has their voice heard. And it's not something that kind of we're naturally going to get right straight away. And so it's all part of the learning curve. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's a shame that kind of it had to come to this. But hopefully we're putting things in place to make sure that going forwards um, we can kind of work better as a team. Okay, and you mentioned, of course, that Coventry at the weekends moved into tier two, tougher coronavirus restrictions, mm -hmm. which really bans the mixing of households uh, indoors and, and tells you to stop essential travel. Now, university as, as study is exempt, but socially, of course, you do still need to be very careful. I was very alarmed early this week when I read in a national newspaper there was a big freshers party at Warwick involving around 100 students messing around on shopping trolleys. Uh, campus security didn't break this up. It was broken up uh, by the local police. Um, as SU president, what do you say to these 100 students? Well, I mean, it's incredibly disappointing. It um i actually only heard about this from uh being sent the article by a friend that graduated and um it's just disappointing to hear that kind of our students are so blatantly flouting the rules um and i know there is kind of um there is a lot of tension and a lot of stress amongst students in terms of um kind of being stuck in halls and not being able to interact with people but this isn't the way to go about solving that and in the end kind of even if there is any transmission through kind of parties like this um even though they're outside it's still not within government guidance not within the university's guidance um and in the end it is going to just have that negative effect on the whole of campus mean that more people are going to end up in self-isolation um, and that this whole thing is going to go on for even longer so um i have raised this with the university they are going to be taking action on some of the students that were there and have been identified um and I think we will completely support the university throughout um, kind of pursuing that disciplinary procedure whilst making sure that it is fair um, and reasonable um, to ensure that kind of students aren't being disproportionately uh, sanctioned. You mentioned self-isolating students and it really mm -hmm. hit crisis point. I think a couple of weeks ago now where I hear that that, that over a thousand students were self-isolating, maybe even up to half of, of the first year cohorts as a student union, what support did you give to these people and, and what support do you still give to, to students who are self-isolating? So um, I think kind of a, a week into uh, into term, I, I was kind of sitting at home, still working from home, um, hence the terrible lighting. But uh, and it kind of occurred to me that we actually haven't had a whole amount of uh, communication with students in self-isolation. We're sitting in the university meeting, seeing all of the actually very good support that the university have been offering students like delivery services, um, laundry services and such. Um, but then when I actually put out a survey to students um, in kind of I think it was end of week one, we found out that actually loads of students didn't know that these services existed, um, were going hungry, 
um, and kind of rationing amongst their flats. And also the fact that the university had gone back on their original policy that we had um, settled on and decided that students couldn't even mix with those in their kitchen groups if they were just self-isolating and not actually positive. Um, so from this survey, we were able to actually uh, kind of compile a paper, take all of this to the university. And the action that we've seen from that has actually been very, very good. Um, it's been very quick. Uh, so they've kind of made a, uh, a quick overview of all of the communications going out to students in self-isolation to make sure that they're kind of understanding everything from the rules from self-isolation and also the support available to them. Um, and that's got a lot better. We haven't really received any complaints from students uh, in self-isolation since. Um, but we're also conscious of the fact that it's hard to get delivery slots from Tesco and other supermarkets and also that Roots Grocery Store um, isn't the most cost effective uh, way of kind of buying food, especially when you're in isolation for two weeks. So we're, as a student union, planning to um, kind of launch a Tesco delivery service where we're going to be offering some of our casual staff that perhaps aren't given as many hours at the moment due to our commercial outlets being closed um, or in reduced hours. Um, and they're going to be able to go out and deliver uh, food packages to people on campus who are self-isolating. So that's something that we hope to launch in the next week, week and a half, which finalising the details. Um, but obviously, anyone in self-isolation with any issues can always contact one of the SU officers um, and we can raise any issues at our meetings. And also the advice centre is there um, still online. If you just drop an email to advice at warwicksu.com, they'll be able to provide you with any help. And also if there's any kind of key issues coming through from self-isolating students, they feed those back anonymously to the officers um, so that we can address them with the university. Okay, that's very good to hear. Um, reading week for many students is is the week after next. Um, mm -hmm. People will be contemplating what they should do. Should they go home? Should they stay at university? Um, do you encourage students who get a reading week to go home? Um, no, <laughs> please don't go home. Um, so there's obviously been a lot of talks around uh, kind of Christmas and uh, the government's uh, kind of flippant suggestion that students might not be able to return home at Christmas. Um, and I think as a university and a students union, um, we're very, very keen for students to be able to return home at Christmas. And we're currently looking into um, kind of different testing methods and stuff so that uh, well, the university is looking at different testing methods so the students are able to go home at Christmas um, and also protect their families. That isn't going to be in place for reading week. So please don't go home. Um, stay on campus. Um, kind of look out for those around you and don't kind of risk uh, taking any virus that perhaps you have, but you're not aware of because you're a student on campus. Um, don't take that home and give it to your family. And also, um, we don't want kind of students coming back on campus and having another wave of 1500 students going into self-isolation, as we saw at the beginning of this term. You mentioned testing in Christmas. That, that's new to me. So is it a possibility that students will, will all get a, a test and it has to be a negative COVID test before going home? There's potential for that. Um, there, there aren't any kind of solid plans, but it's something that the university is exploring. Um, they want students to feel safe and comfortable whilst going home without kind of having to worry about uh, kind of uh, infecting their house, uh, their friends and family at home. Um, so as I say, there's no solid plans there. Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of the university and promise something that we're perhaps not going to get, but um, they're kind of the will is there. It is something that is being looked into. Okay, um, just a couple more things to touch on, uh, Luke. Um, uh, before we came to university, the student union demanded fully online teaching. We're here in a blended approach. I had a class in person this morning and a lecture online this afternoon. Is the <laughs> student union still demanding online teaching? So we're now not taking a stance on um, kind of demanding for all online teaching. Instead, we're trying to uh, get into a situation where students can have the choice as uh, so those students that feel uncomfortable with being on campus um, can have a fully online experience. Um, and those that want to come into campus can kind of go to their socially distanced lectures. Um, we're also really focusing our efforts on making sure that students are supported if they are in online teaching. So making sure that online teaching is as accessible as possible, um, making sure that uh, kind of any students with learning difficulties or um, any disabilities are able to fully access the online teaching provision. Um, and that's kind of where our, our emphasis is lying now. Okay, that, that's um, interesting to hear. Finally, Luke, the university this week at long last accepted the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, the widely accepted definition. Um, it caused quite a lot of controversy that it's taken so long for the university uh, to accept this. As president of the SU, what's your response? So it's an incredibly positive move. Um, so we have policy at the Students' Union um, that was passed through Student Council um, in previous years for us to lobby the university and um, for them to implement the IHRA definition. So that's been something that officers over the last couple of years have been um, campaigning for. And so it's 
good to see that the university are um, acknowledging the definition and will be using it in uh, disciplinary trials, um, both student and staff going forwards. Um, it's taken a long time, um, but we're glad that we've got here in the end. And now we need to turn our focus to ensuring that the university adopts all forms, um, definitions of all forms of racism, um, not just anti-Semitism. Um, and so that kind of those involved in disciplinary procedures are, are really, really aware of kind of what um, what is and isn't racism um, so that they can make the right decisions going forwards. Okay, Luke, you've been very generous with your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Also, thank you. That's Luke Meffham, the uh, president of Warwick Students' Union, talking here exclusively on Raw News. Let's bring in the head of news at Raw, Enoch Mukungu, uh, who's been listening to Luke Meffham. Hi, Enoch. Good afternoon. Um, your thoughts on the interview? I can't hear you. Sorry. Well, um, firstly, I want to say great interview from you, Johnny. But I think the key thing I noticed was he mentioned um, the key things I noticed was he mentioned going home for reading week and he, um, also the situation at Christmas. So I think with reading week coming up, like I said, it's week five. We're going to week five now. Week six, most people are planning to go somewhere, planning to go home, planning to visit family and friends back at um, back in their hometowns. And with you, the outbreak of the university we're seeing, I think the university really needs to start pushing the message of actually, no, don't go home. Um, please stay here until everything's safe. And then we're looking forward to Christmas. If they didn't money to be tested, need to test negative to go home. That could be, I, I can see that possibly being problematic. That's a really interesting development, and 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 when I when I pushed the president on it, he he was keen to tell me that actually this hadn't been confirmed, and maybe he was jumping the gun in mentioning this. Um, but there's this possibility that we all need a negative test to go home. I wonder if there's a testing capacity for that. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I, it's at some point it seems like we have the testing capacity to just handle the normal output. So I don't think I can do a mass testing of every single student before they can go home. Um, if the university thinks that's possible, I I, I think they may be overestimating their abilities there but, but you know obviously let's touch on the division between officers yeah. at student union it was we uh, discussed that at length at the start of the interview and um, because there was this statement last week from the democracy and development officer that really named and shamed some people and said they were responsible for some of the issues um we've had in terms of putting on pop and, and maybe that leading to cases and and risking student life um Luke was, was very clear to me today as the SU president to, to say, actually, this division might be a little bit exaggerated. Oh, I mean, obviously, we, we, no one knows what happens in the, behind the closed doors of the SU. Um, but I look, there's clearly been a split. The split, the split is out there now. There's no minimising it. Um, but on the subject of whether or not it's safe to have pop out there, it was, it was safe to ha have pop. Um, I just look, as you mentioned, look at the story of what happens when you don't have pop. People, hundreds of people parting outside routes. Maybe it's time that people we actually do offer a safe alternative to these sort of mass unregulated gatherings. And then finally, in, in this part of the program, Enoch, on the um, the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, which the university adopted at long last this week, um, yeah. Luke was quite clear today to, to paint that as a win for the student union. I, I think it's really a, fast, it's a win for anyone. It's a win for JSOC, who've been absolutely campaigning um, for across the year for this. In fact, we, we, were, uh, we were supposed to have them on, on Raw News uh, next week to discuss a letter they sent in for the university to see inside to cave. Um, I just don't know why it took so long for the university to cave, but I'm glad we finally reached that point. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Enoch, and you'll be joining uh, our panel in a moment to discuss uh, the rest of the issues of the week. First, we go to some comments uh, which we've had on our on our live stream this afternoon. Uh, Let's go first to Luke Shortland, who's always there with a comment. Uh, glad to see the irresponsible demands for online-only teaching have been dropped. It's right the SU should be focusing on ensuring that students who need it have that choice. Thanks, Luke. That's a please, Luke Shortland. Isn't always something we uh, see on these live streams. One more comment to bring up uh, from Sean Bolton. I agree with Enoch. If the university doesn't want students going home in reading week, week six, coming up very soon, they need to communicate that to the students and not assume it, it, it isn't something I've heard from the university yet, but pretty firm words there uh, from Luke Metham this afternoon, the president of Warwick University Students' Union. You're watching the Johnny Jenkins Show here on uh, social media and wherever you get your podcasts as well. And this, at this point, we turn to our panel discussion. You've met Enoch already. Uh, let's bring in Cam Hall from the Alternative View uh, here on Raw. Uh, hi, Cam. Um, good afternoon. Um, how's everyone doing? We're good, not bad at all, Cam. And um, I don't know how much of the interview you caught, but was there anything that, that shocked you about about what Luke Metham said? I think the certainly the reading week. 
um, students not going home during reading. I actually have driving lessons booked back at home during reading week. So now I have quite an interesting dilemma to make there. That Do I still honour the commitment I have there or do I obviously stay here in Leamington? That's obviously something I'm going to have to discuss with my parents. But also secondly, and I think obviously on something that myself and Seb Maxted as part of um, Put Work Students First have been campaigning for, for the Students Union to drop their campaign for fully online teaching and to offer the choice of students in their teaching methods. I think we can, we're pleased to say that Luke has made that commitment now to drop that campaign and to focus on having that choice for students in how they're taught. I think it's essential that students who want to get face-to-face teaching at this moment can get it in a safe and effective way and it's great to see that the SU have listened to us and they've listened to the student body as well and they've now dropped this campaign. Yeah, it's interesting. It all went quiet on that front. So I'm glad we got that clarification from Luke Metham today. And hopefully you'll have the green light to go home for your driving lessons uh, in reading week. <laughs> Let's bring in uh, Imogen, a first year student who's been on this show before. Hi, Imogen. Hiya. How are you doing? You OK? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. And um, what, how do you feel about about what Luke Metham's saying today when it comes to, to reading week and the Christmas holidays and, and this, this possibility of maybe you could go home, maybe you couldn't? Um, I do definitely agree the university needs to be a lot clearer on their approach to this. But I think they also do need to consider a lot of first years are obviously their first time living away from home, their first time um, having to completely cater for themselves. And it is quite a common place that you go to uni for like a month, just over a month. um, And then you can like go back home and see your family because obviously it's the first time being away from home, living away from home. And they definitely need to take that into account if they do make a decision and considering students' well-being at this time in terms of seeing family, seeing friends and being able to like fully settle into university. And I found in first year, Imogen, when I went home for the first time, it all felt so weird and Mm -hmm. it it felt so familiar, but also so distant. And I had this other life at university. But it was important I got out of that bubble because when you live Mm. on campus, it's difficult to escape. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And will you be going home? Um... (laughs) <laughs> well, again I had booked to go and see my parents because I haven't seen them since since I arrived and I, w- I was expecting to be able to go home and see my gran as well but obviously taking the necessary precautions distancing wearing masks that that kind of thing to make sure we're staying safe of course. I think many students will be in that same situation Imogen it's great to to see you today let's bring in uh, a newbie to the show actually Adam Gravely a postgrad student uh, who joins us now uh, hi Adam. Hi Johnny. How you doing you okay? Yes, good, thanks. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. We can see you as well, which is always a bonus. Um, Listening to the president of the student union there, Adam, uh, how do you feel as as a postgraduate student? Do you think your your needs are are recognised by Luke Metham? I'd say so, yes. I think um, I'm glad that they've recognised that there is a really difficult balance between in-person and online. Initially, wasn't coming from the union. Um, so I, I am grateful that they are, they are recognising there is that need. I think we're just such unprecedented situation at the moment. It is see how this is going to go. Um, I can see us going online only before the end of term. Um, I do think uh, the aspect of going home for Christmas, like in, it doesn't, it, it may not affect postgraduates as much. Like me, for example, I already live at home, so uh, unless I've been told I have to move in few weeks um, beforehand I, I don't know but I think that's uh, I, I think we're, we're getting some clarity mm, and I, I think we got quite a lot of that on, on many issues actually this afternoon but this mm. idea of of having a test for and as you say mainly undergraduate students uh, a, a negative coronavirus test before they're able to go home it was a very interesting one and one I hadn't heard before maybe it'll come up again let's uh, bring in our final uh, panelist for the show today uh, Lily who joins us Hi. now hiya Hello. Um, Lily, hearing that interview with Luke Metham, is there anything that struck you? Well, I'd agree with everyone. Um, I'm happy that they basically backtracked on the all online thing because I think a lot of us first years would not have even come if we knew from the beginning that it was all going to be online. And I think like for me, the seminars have been so much better in person because I had to be online during isolation. And it's good, it works, but it's so much more fun and interactive in person so I'm glad we can still do that. And I suppose it's different for you Lily as an international student but have you got plans to go home or or are you staying put on campus for now? Uh, For now yeah I can't go home but uh, December I will go home 
I hope that it works, but yeah. Okay, well, there's our panel. We return to them in a moment as we discuss the US election. As America decides on Tuesday, Raw's got some special coverage. Let's learn all about it. To introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump. In the race for the White House, Joe Biden is officially the Democratic Party nominee for president. Let vote now. Make sure you, in fact, let people know he doesn't want you're to senator. The I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the question you is the question is the question left. Would you shut is, up, man? Listen, who is it's all been building up to this. Don't miss a moment with Raw 12:51 a.m. Across campus, online, and on 12:51 a.m. This, this, this is your student radio station. Certainly, as we've got plenty of special coverage uh, Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning. Um, we'll get on to that in a moment. I want to turn to Imogen first because I know you're not with us for the whole show, Imogen. I want to get your thoughts. Um, first, looking ahead to the election on Tuesday, we should have some idea of a result maybe on Wednesday. Um, what are your feelings? Which way do you think it's going to go? Um, I feel like I'm definitely taking the optimist side and saying that Biden's going to win. Um, I think that, you know, of course, there, there's uh, the argument that you, know, you can never really trust polls, especially because of what happened in 2016. But Biden's lead over Trump is much bigger than Clinton's was. And I do believe that he's going to be able to get some of these core states and these core voters, um, especially amongst white voters. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go with hopefully Biden. But it's so strange that it's come around. Like I was just saying to Lily yesterday, just how it's been like we've been waiting four years to try and get, trying to get this man out of office. And like it's eventually here. I'm interested to see, actually, when it you mentioned the polls and we'll discuss this as a panel in a moment. But four years ago, yeah. the polls were in somewhat of a similar situation. And they said that Hillary Clinton was, was going to storm it. She was going to win. No chance Donald Trump winning. He came along, won the Electoral College, and then he became the president. How do you feel, Imogen, about the prospect of that happening again? Do you think it's a likely, a likely prospect? Um, I, I don't. I think it's definitely less likely than before because I think that uh, Trump's main appeal was definitely. Um, kind of a, a populist one and coming in to like rectify the nation and he was going to sort everything out and that's a very hard position to kind of do again after you've been in office for four years and there hasn't really been much change and then you're now in your country's now in the middle of an economic recession um i think that that kind of message and especially like made america make america great again it's like well haven't you been trying to do it for the past four years so i'm just not sure that that same populist agenda is going to play as much of a role in this election than it did in 2016 and Imogen, when it comes to Corona, how much do you think that's affected people's views on Donald Trump? And maybe he loses some older voters. Yeah, he could do De definitely with the with the older population. But I think that it hasn't really affected his core base. I think that they are still like undoubtedly supporting Trump, supporting his stance on wearing masks, and especially because of his message um, of. I've beat Corona and I'm da, 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 and I've been able to defeat it and it's perfectly fine. And I think definitely his core voters will draw on that and draw on how he's survived it and just say how it's not really a big deal and therefore Trump's dealt with it perfectly fine. And Imogen, on, on election night and the morning afterwards, you're involved with Raw's coverage, aren't you? Yes. What are you yeah. going to be doing? Um, I think I'm doing like one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening um, as part of the actually on air and then hopefully some backstage like state correspondence work, which is really exciting. I can't wait to get involved in it. Fantastic. Well, it's great to see you, you, you this afternoon, Imogen, and we'll see you on Tuesday night when the election takes place. Um, and I'll be leading you through the morning on Wednesday from 7am uh, with the latest um, news from America. Okay, Enoch, let's come to you before we come to the panel. And I wanted to hear from Imogen there because I know she has to dash off. Um, what is Raw planning for election well, night? Well, if you saw the little trailer there, Raw is planning a US election extravaganza. So starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, next Tuesday, um, we're going to be bringing you three hours of live coverage in the evening and then three hours of live coverage in the morning, doing sort of a, a, a pre-coverage, you know, a preview show and then also a results show. Um, so hope, hopefully, obviously this is going to be very weird, hopefully we do have some real results to discuss in the morning, 
and hopefully um, in full impartiality intact, the result I want happens, and so it's not a miserable, miserable morning. So that, that's all I'm hoping for, really. Okay, let's turn uh, to the panel who we can we can see here. Um, Adam, let's throw to you first. Your thoughts looking ahead um, to Tuesday in America. Have you got an idea about which way it's going to swing? So I, I am going to try and be optimistic and say that it's going to fall to Biden. But I really want to stress, but that we have got a really unconventional situation. We have a really unconventional president. We don't know how he initially is going to react to any results. And much of it will depend whether or not the early indications coming out are so decisive one or the other that any side concedes. Now, we're saying that Biden should not concede the election, that he should take legal action, and the Republicans will doubt be potentially saying the same to uh, Donald Trump, but I don't think Donald Trump will be listening. He will be making up his own mind on how this and go and it's going to come down to some of these swing states with it, in some cases where it's still just slightly too early to tell mm, and i think donald trump always makes up his own mind doesn't he um adam you're involved with the coverage um tell me what you're going to be doing on the night and perhaps the morning after so on the night um i will be i think on the first hour to uh analyze uh, the election thus far, so you won't have results at that point. It will be around projections. Um, and in the morning, I will be with you in the morning, I believe. Um, uh, we might get some results. We'll have early indications, and hopefully some states will, will be able to declare. Interesting then is, are there any going to be shocks on the night? Because uh, Texas, for example, if that falls to the Democrats, that could be a shock that really tells us which way the election is going. Because Texas is, is, is a big um, oil state, isn't it? And, and, and you've got to remember that America aren't as progressive when it comes to the environment and energy as we are. Um, and so the prospect of renewable energy and moving away from fossil fuels is a big worry for many people in that state. So I, I suppose my inkling when it comes to Texas is, is it will stay with Republican. But the second, if when it goes to Democrat, they've, they've won, haven't they? Potentially. So Texas carries 38 electoral college votes. That would be a really big shock and a really big upset to the Republican Party because Texas has not been Democrat since Carter in 1976. On the issue of oil, um, it's interesting you say that, and you are right to say that it is an oil-rich state and that tradition will fall to Republicans, particularly with uh, what uh, Joe Biden did actually say about uh, bringing in restrictions around oil. But we are seeing younger voters who may who are more likely to back Biden in this election, who are environmentally conscious and might be recognising the fact that uh, Joe may come forward with a plan to transition away from oil, but not not in such a way to damage the Texan economy. I love that you're on first name terms with Joe Biden. I think that's brilliant. I love it when, when <laughs> we get politicians on the first name. Say. <laughs> uh, Cam Hall, let's come to you. Um, your thoughts on just just sort of broadly which way you think it might swing i think it's the polls obviously are giving it very strongly for biden at the moment and i think there's a lot of stories coming at the moment i do think biden has the in an, any normal election year i think even at this point we could say this is an assured biden victory of course the big difference when we talk about the polls in 2016 where they are now and where they are today is obviously James Comey had intervened over Hillary Clinton's emails in that last week of the campaign. And I very much believe that that intervention, given how tight the margins were in Michigan and Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin last time out, it was those that very much took it over the line for Trump. And so this time, it does feel very much that Biden has found his feet. Pennsylvania, for example, I think is a state that very much will go Democrat on the night. Quite a lot of other stories as well. Arizona, a state that has been progressively leaning towards the Democrats in recent years. We talk and we see a lot of obviously the Latino vote and the way that that has increasingly started to affect elections in the US. New Mexico has now become a solid blue state. Arizona is on that same tra trajectory now. And this could be a really interesting one, especially with the way Arizona took a Senate seat 
in 2018 are expected to potentially take another Senate seat this time out. Will that translate into the presidential vote? North Carolina as well, a state Obama took on his way to winning in 2008. That's really vulnerable. And if North Carolina goes, I really struggle to see how the conservative vote, because if conservative vote doesn't hold up in North Carolina, it's really not going to hold up in many other states in the country, especially the likes of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. There's a lot of stories from this election. I think one of the ones I'm very interested in on the night is that um, if the polls are correct at the moment, this is the first time Ohio will call the election wrong since 1960. So th this is certainly an election of many firsts. But I think the one big thing we haven't mentioned yet, of course, is mail-in voting. That, I think, will really impact how the election is called on the night. I don't think we'll see any swing states. We certainly won't see any sort of more Democrat majority swing states, in a sense, because it's Republicans we expect to vote on the day. Democrats are more likely to do mail-in voting. And, of course, if the Supreme Court intervenes, and now with Amy Coney Barrett confirmed as well onto the Supreme Court, this could be very spicy. And I, I am personally of the opinion that I think this election will be called in the Supreme Court. So interesting, and maybe for someone that's learning about all of this, as 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 they're listening, as as the campaign has been going on, it's quite overwhelming, really, isn't it? Because we're learning, of course, that there's certain states which are very important. We've touched on on, on Texas, Michigan, some other places, uh, Arizona as well, um, and it's just it's a slightly different system, and people really are just getting their heads around it. So, can perhaps you tell us a little bit? You mentioned the Supreme Court, and, and we know there's a new justice there who we expect to be more uh, judged more favourably towards Donald Trump. Um, how, how does the Supreme Court come into all of this? Can they make the decision? So, the sort of the precedent for this, and this is very much based on precedent. You have to go back to 2000. So, the election in 2000. Um, Al Gore was leading, um, I believe at the time it was 267 to, if I believe it was Florida, it was 27 votes. It was 244 to Bush at the time. Florida on the night was literally separated by about 500 or so votes in one county. The, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that recounts could keep going on and that, and it was constantly switching between Gore and Bush. And simply that night, the election couldn't be called. The Supreme Court then intervened in December of 2000, ordered the recount to stop in Florida and awarded, effectively awarded the state to George W. Bush, as had originally been stated. And that eventually took Bush to 271 over the 270 needed in the Electoral College to win the election. And that still, despite the fact that Al Gore won the popular vote. So the Supreme Court won't make a decision in terms of to say, we're going to call the election for someone in particular or it's going to say that this candidate has won what it will adjudicate on is constitutional process and the electoral process the electoral college is the 12th amendment of the constitution it's very much laid down in terms of how that process works and if mail-in voting if there's controversy that erupts in terms of the validity of mail-in votes and we know that some votes will be coming in a few days later than election day itself and that's where, particularly if we now have more originalist judges who will rule on the exact words of the Constitution, that's where it could get quite interesting to see whether those votes are judged valid and then indirectly impact upon who wins these states. Um, and mail-in voting is the UK equivalent to postal voting, isn't it? Um, but it's, I suppose, a bit less common. And with corona, more people are doing it now. And Donald Trump has really, uh, over the past months, questioning the the validity of, of, of mail-in voting. Cam, on the night, the morning after, what are you doing? So I will be um, presenting the first two hours of the coverage in the evening. So 7 to 9pm on our evening show, I will be presenting those first two hours. We'll be taking a look at the presidential race, much more analysis in terms of the key states, where the key battlegrounds are on the night, and also the House and the Senate as well, the key states to watch, and also where we think control will be, because of course, the however Congress is shaped after this election will greatly affect whoever sits in the White House as well. So it's going to be very interesting to have a look and preview those. I may just be asleep at that time because I'm trying to work out how I'm going to do it. And I think I think an early night and then, you know, waking up at, I don't know, three o'clock or something might be the best way to do it. That's what I'm told. Um, Lily, let's turn to you. Um, we're really just, just having a broad look at how things are going to play out in America next week. Um, have you got an idea about which way it will swing? Um, yeah, I'm trying to be optimistic as well. But I know 
it won't be a landslide. And if there's no landslide, there's going to be a big battle, I think, of obviously validity of, of votes and all that. Um, I think it could very well be Trump again, but I hope it is Biden, like everyone else, I think, here. Um, yeah, but it's going to be messy. It's going to be very messy. I personally don't believe that states like Texas will swing or Georgia. I really hope so because there is the potential, but due to multiple reasons at, or multiple ways that they're trying to suppress the vote, I feel like it could it could be a successful suppression in those states, but I hope it isn't. And the, er, the early um, turnout in Texas is particularly good. So that gives me like a bit more hope that it's going to go well. Yeah. And by, by well, of course, you mean Biden winning. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I was just clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lily, on, on election night in the morning, you're involved in Raw's coverage. Yeah, I'll be um, in the evening part because I'm not an early bird at all. So I, <laughs> I want to be, I'll, I'll be a state correspondent. I think for me, it's so interesting to see what these key swing states will do. Um, and yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And Adam, I'm going to assume that four years ago, you were quite, being a postgraduate student, you're that bit older, um, that, that you were sort of consumed in, in the, the 2016 election just as much as you are now. Am I right in, in thinking that? Because the reason I ask is I'm, I'm wondering about my sleep. What do I do? When do I sleep? When's wise? So my advice is sleep. And, and, and don't be afraid to go to sleep early because the early stuff is going to be a lot of analysis um, and very partisan analysis. We will see the Democrats spinning for Democrat, Republicans spinning for Republican, maybe some Republicans spinning for Democrat. Who knows? Probably won't see any Democrats spinning for Republican. Um, uh, we won't see initial results until the morning at the at the earliest. Um, and it was like an, I I remember uh, the the last election really well and. It was just as you started see things being called reasonably quickly um, and you started to see the map turning more and more red. Um, and it became very clear by about uh, sort of two o'clock in the morning, I think it was, where it was kind of like, right, at this point, I'm off to just <laughs> it's just too much to go and take in. Um, but yeah, with mail-in votes, that can be really uh, that we know there's probably going to be some form of legal challenge. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lose too much sleep over it. Okay. Well. Um, yeah. Because because we woke up four years ago knowing that Donald Trump had won. Because I, I I wasn't up for that night. Um, but this time I'm thinking maybe I'm told sort of four a.m. is when it might get a bit spicy. So mm. okay, that'll be my yeah. plan. Um, we, we've touched on mail-in voting and. I'm so interested in this because in the UK, it's so normal, right? It's so normal to send a postal vote. And when you're at the count, and I've spent a lot of time at counts in the UK, um, at 10 o'clock on the dot, the postal votes are poured out onto the table and they are counted up straight away. And there's no messing about. They're always there. There's a certain date you have to send them in by. And, and there's really no question about it. But in America, it's just been so controversial, hasn't it? This idea of postal voting. Um, and... And one of you, I can't remember which one, touched on this idea that, that maybe more Republicans will vote in person because that's what Donald Trump has really told people to do. Whereas Joe Biden, as we saw in the video clip we played earlier, said vote and vote early, vote early if you can. So just how much, I stay with you, Adam, just how much do you think um, postal votes are going to, or mail-in voting is going to influence the results? Uh, potentially significantly because we have got the global coronavirus pandemic um, that is that is going to cause voters to be like, well, actually, do I really want to be going out? Although we are seeing that people are filling in their mail-in vote and they're actually hand-delivering them and queuing up, uh, sort of taking the uh, point out of uh, in vote because they are so worried about what is going to go, um, which way it's going to go. However, the mail-in vote question could potentially harm Donald Trump more because the more the the, the, the people more likely to rely on mail-in voting are probably going to be some of the older people who potentially might be more likely to vote Republican. So much so that uh, even like some Mitch McConnell were urging Trump to actually sort of step away from his attacks on mail-in voting because he, 
he could actually be in if if there was a successful challenge against some of the mail-in votes he could actually be wiping away a good chunk of the republican vote in the process because there's going to be that many older voters who are worried about health worried about corona and that's why it's so important now um these voters which we hear donald trump is losing and he's really trying to appeal to them and it would be a concern that's a very interesting point um cam your response to that it's an interesting one i actually hadn't considered that perspective that of course i think particularly with older voters i think it would because the issue of mail-in voting has become so partisan I, I, I wasn't something I had considered, but I do think Adam is right there, actually. I think that a lot of older voters who are obviously at higher risk from COVID and on will typically vote Republican. Now, that's not to say that they all will. And in a state like Florida in particular at the moment, I think we're starting to see that Biden is starting to win over a lot of these elderly voters and turning that state more progressively blue. So I think it's going to be a really interesting one of mail-in voting. I think the, the, the thought I had originally is it kind of, speaks to the impact of really federalism in the US because of course effectively the presidential election is almost 50 separate state elections in terms of how these mail-in voting mail-in votes work and it's all different rules in terms of when you can get your mail-in votes in so some states it's on the day some states it's a few days after I think in a couple of states maybe even a week or so after of course here in the UK as you said Johnny all the postal votes have to be either posted and get into the town hall by 10 p.m or they have to be at the polling station by 10 p.m. on election day. It's, I think, a lot more, it rather speaks to, I think, the different constitutional systems that we have. And I think if there's anything that's going to come from this, I think there may be a consensus to look at a more federal system of national of uh, mail-in voting that's imposed at the national federal government level rather than maybe delegating it to the states. And, of course, that is an issue that in itself could end up at the Supreme Court as well. So it's certainly a very spicy debate, I think, that could come from I that. love it when people describe things as spicy, and I think of the spicy counters too already <laughs> this afternoon. Um, and the Supreme Court is such an interesting one. I'm not quite sure we've got time to delve into it now, but I know on the night we will be able to because there's this idea where uh, the Supreme Court now leans towards conservative because Donald Trump's been able to get Amy Coney Barrett in there. Um, will Joe Biden go about court packing, putting more Democrat supporting maybe towards the left a little bit judges in the supreme court we don't know um lily your thoughts on on this whole mail-in voting fiasco and, and how it might influence the result yeah i just think it's so hip hypocritical of him to attack it because most presidents vote by mail absentee like people vote, uh, who live abroad for example me and my family we vote have voted by mail all the time. So why why is he so concerned about it, people doing it in the country itself? Um, I also never thought of the point that um, was brought up about that it's actually hurting his base, which is very true. I just think that mail-in voting would probably increase overall voter turnout, and that's what concerns him um, because I mean clearly there is a lot of um, dislike right now of what he's been, what he's been doing, especially when it comes to Corona. But I agree um, with Cam that there needs to be a federal system on voting because it's so confusing. Every state is different. Um, every new governor you have or a new local politician can change the rules just like this, like super easily. And it just confuses people and deters them from voting. So I agree with that. Um, it's, I don't know why it's so controversial, but hopefully the next president would change that maybe. Well, I suppose with America, everything is just so deeply embedded, isn't it? There are countries that don't really change their mind very often. Um, Enoch, yeah. let's turn to you on this, on this topic of, of mail-in voting and how it could affect the result. Um, do you think it's as important as it's been painted out to be? I, I think, well, ironically, and this is what it's sort of... Uh, the, the panic around mail-in voting, uh, we've sort of seen, has led to a big shift, where people who now order mail-in ballots, lots of them now return them and said gone to vote early or simply drop their ballots off um, in, a, you know, in deposit boxes that then go straight to the you know, voting places. I think mail-in voting is going to be a massive part of this election. I do think it's going to massively delay the results, but it reached part of a larger issue of voter suppression in America. The fact that they're just not very, they are painfully slow at counting results anyway. I remember in 20, um, 20, um, 2018, there was one Senate race that was 
um, that someone thought they'd won for I think was it almost two weeks before the full results were counted and they realised they had lost. Um, so it's absolutely it's absolutely ridiculous how long it takes them to count votes. So I think there's a larger issue at work with America's voting system that they do need a federal voting act to fix, but that's just the beginning. They need a real deep rethink of how they do voting. Oh, it's so fascinating, and we're going to be able to delve into it so much in the coverage. Um, so it's next Tuesday night from seven pm. Uh, any broken news throughout the night, we'll see where we're at, where we're at with that. And then I'll be leading you through the results 7 a.m. next Wednesday. And, and we've got a whole team, haven't we, Enoch, of, of yeah. different presenters, different contributors. Um, oh, how exciting. Should we watch the trailer again? Because I quite liked it. I want to watch it again if, if people miss it earlier, shall we? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, here's what you can expect next Tuesday. to introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump. In the race for the White House, Joe Biden is officially the Democratic Party nominee for president. Let vote now. Make sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question because because the question is the question is the radical left. Would you shut up, man? Who is it's all been building up to this? Don't miss a moment with Raw 12:51 a.m. Across campus, online, and on 12:51 a.m. This, this, this is your student radio station. I've got the smile on my face because that will you shut up man bit just gets me every time. I think it's so fantastic. Um, Right. Let's leave the US discussion there because we have so much time next week to get into it. A bit more to discuss with the panel. But at this point, uh, we say bye bye to Lily. Thanks so much for being with us, Lily. We see you next uh, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye. There we are. Just the four of us now. And um, let's turn back to the UK and to the Labour Party in the UK because there was this report released yesterday morning uh, by the Equality and Human Rights Commission um, that all about anti-Semitism and the Labour Party's handling it, really the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn in that time period. Um, The anti-racist party investigated by the Human Rights and Equality Commission, which was set up by a Labour government. You, you really couldn't write this stuff. Um, Cam, what, what was your response to um, the report and to the subsequent sacking of Jeremy Corbyn, or um, let's say suspended pending investigation, that's the proper way of saying it, um, is no longer a Labour MP. It's quite something, isn't it? I think to put this in a bit of context, it was a year ago we were on the general election campaign and every Labour MP was saying that Jeremy Corbyn should be the prime minister of this country. It's been a just a dramatic reversal over the last 12 months. I think to focus on this report, I was reading the report just before I came on air. And the, I think the most important conclusion that I got from it was not necessarily on anything to do with whether Labour was institutionally anti-Semitic. And I think the report doesn't make any allegations in that sense. But I think what the report does clearly show was that the procedures were not in place in the Labour Party to effectively deal with cases of anti-Semitism. There was unlawful intervention from the leader's office. Now, I've, I've heard a lot of people defend this intervention. I know Aaron Bastani was saying it last night, as was Owen Jones as well. They were both saying that this intervention was in favour of making sure people who had committed anti-Semitism or who were... Um, suspended because of anti-Semitism, were, you know, had stronger action taken against them. That was, to speak of the case of Ken Livingston, but even so, that intervention should not have taken place in the first place. And just in general, the sort of transparency, not just at the top of the Labour Party, but at the sort of the rank and file members as well, the transparency in terms of what anti-Semitism is, the training given to party officials, and also the way that just cases were dealt with and all levels and what people knew about the process, it was very much a case that Labour didn't get their hand on what exactly they needed to do with these cases. And I think on the point of Jeremy Corbyn very quickly, obviously Keir Starmer is doing his best at the moment to distance himself. And obviously I think this is part of that. Jeremy, I think what Jeremy Corbyn said about cases being over-exaggerated, I think was very hurtful to many members of the Jewish community after seeing this report. But I, I think just on one other point, I don't think Keir Starmer can entirely go out of this because of course as I said at the start it was a year ago that Keir Starmer was saying that Jeremy Corbyn should be Prime Minister so I think he also 
and indeed the wider Labour Party machine have a lot of questions to answer. And I don't think they can just put all of the blame and scapegoat Jeremy Corbyn for this. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that because Sir Keir Starmer was the Brexit secretary for Jeremy Corbyn. He promoted him as as leader and ultimately said he should be prime minister of this country. Um, he says he spoke out a lot privately about anti-Semitism and the issues surrounding it. Um, within the shadow cabinet level but publicly he was always in support of the leader but they have this collective responsibility i suppose when you when you're in this sort of cabinet um adam were you surprised uh, after the report after the statements that they sacked jeremy corbyn so um i was surprised that they did uh, suspend jeremy corbyn though after reading uh, the comments that he made um uh, following the report, I can see why David Evans, the uh, general secretary, will have taken uh, such a decision because the suspension itself um, is not so much for what the report has said, but it's from what how Mr. Corbyn responded to try and uh, say that say that some of the issues around anti-Semitism have been e e focused on extra above what they actually were. We should see that the um, the report itself found Labour. Uh, guilty on essentially they found three breaches of the Equality Act and this uh, independent body the only other political party I believe they've um, actually investigated apart from Labour is the BNP the National Party the far right party so the fact that now Labour sits in uh, that sort of company of having been investigated for racism is uh, it's incredibly difficult incredibly painful Thing for the party and for its members because the party makes such a thing out of being the anti-racist mm. party um enoch anti-semitism and the labor party is something is ground we've gone over so many times on this show and, and on raw news but really yesterday was supposed to close the book on it but jeremy corbyn then being suspended really has put it back into the forefront of the news agenda is is that wise I, I honestly, everything about yesterday from the Jeremy Corbyn perspective, I'm completely lost on. If you had told me a year ago on, on the Johnny Jenkins show that we were talking about Jeremy Corbyn getting the writ removed because he would continue to refuse to apologize and anti-Semitic um, you know, activity that took place while he was leader, I probably would have believed it. But I also, I can't imagine that we've now reached a place in the world where this has happened. I don't understand why he chose to make the comment he made yesterday, as we know, because Kiss Starmer. Keir Starmer told him what he was going to say in his response to speech, as we've been, we've been told. So I don't understand why he chose to, again, sort of make the bear angry again, whereby once again refusing to apologise when Labour was going to apologise. I don't know how he can read that report and not feel any kind of sympathy for the people. He, even if he's, even if he didn't think, even if he doesn't think he's anti-Semitic, which I'm, I have no, I have no knowledge of the man's personal beliefs or personal actions. I'm just judging him as a leader. If you don't think he's anti-Semitic, how can he not read that report and feel ashamed of what happened while he was in charge? And can't he just say, "I am so sorry," not yeah. for not for any racism that's occurred under me, but for anti-Semitism in particular, because it's always anti-Semitism and all other forms of racism. Can't we just have a conversation solely about that issue? Because it clearly, as this report has confirmed, is such a big problem within the party. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think that's what I think. Cause I was talking to some um, of my Jewish friends about you know, what Kiss Sam said yesterday. And the most relieving thing they said, what he said, was I'm sorry. That's what all the lots of people were just looking for. That they were just looking for Labour to apologise and then give them time and then to give them space and time to think about what, what to do next. I'm, I am desperately angry that Jeremy Corbyn, and also I have to say as well, if Keir Starmer made the decision, I don't, I think it was actually because the general secretary, but if in any part of the Leeds office was involved in spending Jeremy Corbyn, I think that is the wrong call 100%, because we just had a report about why that's wrong. And also it's just the absolute wrong thing to do on a day what should have been about Jewish people and their trauma. It's the making about Jeremy Corbyn versus Keir Starmer. Hmm. And I can see the, the clock ticking towards four o'clock, but, um, where do we go from here? Is the party now able to close the book on it? I assume it's really, as Keir Starmer says, got to be judged by uh, how many Jewish members who left returned to the party. Um, I wish I could throw that question to you as a panel, but as I say, uh, the time is against us. Um, thank you all so much for being here. Just finally, Enoch, um, if people missed it a bit earlier on, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, that's when our US election coverage is taking place.
Yeah, well, live from 7 to 10 a.m. and p.m. for a Tuesday, p.m. on Tuesday, a.m. on Wednesday. Please tune in. It's going to be an absolutely brilliant broadcast. If we have any news, this is the place to get it. That's what I'm going to say. It certainly is. And Monday Insight is on air as well, uh, yeah. where you can look ahead to the election the next day, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, on Insight on Monday, we were discussing about the, the, um, the Polish protests on campus last this Wednesday. And also, we will be previewing the US election. We'll have another trailer for you, hopefully. And we'll be getting into all the good stuff. Okay. And Cam, the alternative view back next week? Yes. However, sleep deprived, I will be at Wednesday, 1 pm. The alternative view will be back. Okay. Adam, Enoch, Cam, thanks ever so much. And to Lily uh, and Imogen, who joined us earlier on. See you next time on the Johnny Jenkins show. Uh, I'll tell you what, who knows where we'll be by next week. Bye-bye.